listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, church. Are you excited about this series FAQ? Are you excited? You sound like it. Can you second service? I just want to let you know. First service comes in like pumped. I don't know if they're stopping over at that Easy Mart and getting energy drinks before they come. But I'm just saying, they're giving you a run for your money. I know that you're excited about it because I'm excited about a series that's actually going to answer questions that I think that we're dealing with in our walk with God. And I told the people last week, maybe if you missed it, I'll just fill you in. We need answers to questions. There's so much happening in this world, and people have real questions who are new to the faith. People have real questions who are coming in from the outside. Maybe they knew Jesus at a younger age, but they see everything going on. And, man, some Sunday school teacher put the fear of God in you, and you're like, i got to get back to church. Or maybe you're a person that you're, just, you're new to this relationship with Jesus, and, and you need to know. What am I supposed to do about culture? What am I supposed to do about difficult people in times? Is Jesus coming back sooner than we might have thought? And we want to we give you answers to all of those questions. Uh, so please do take out something to take notes with. And if you're watching online, share this feed. I've heard that every time a, a message is shared online, a preaching message, that somebody at Facebook, um, uh, they get their wings and, and they get a promotion or something like that uh, in Jesus' name. So today we're going to be answering the question. How do I engage in culture and in current events? You know, before the whole world shut down, before everything changed, this was a really pressing question for a lot of people that wanted to serve God but saw culture begin to really deteriorate. And, and how do we go about, I mean, being a Christian and enjoying this world that we live in and not being a prude, not acting like we were baptized in pickle juice, you know what I'm saying? And how do, how do we enjoy culture and enjoy relationships and, and even like media and things like that? How do we do that and, and also be a God-pleasing Christian? How do we navigate this life? How do we live in, in a world that is so different and, and, and listen, me included, I'm a 30-something, but this world is so different from the world I grew up in. I think that we have to come to terms with that, reconcile what we're dealing with here in culture, because over the past 10 years, culture has changed so dramatically. And honestly, I would even say that over the past 12 months, culture probably has changed just as much, maybe even significantly more than the past 10 years altogether combined. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And so when we see these things, let me just tell you where I'm at as a pastor. I got a five-year-old son, and I'm trying to figure out when I need to talk to him about what. Because you can't watch TV without it getting just shoved in your face. I let my kids uh, watch a little bit of documentaries on YouTube. We have a little Apple TV unit. And so we'll watch like Modern Marvels, which is like my favorite show. It's been gone for 100 years. But uh, a little bit of Discovery Channel and stuff like that. Well, I came back in one day, and they were still watching Discovery Channel. They were watching this brand new show, Naked and Afraid. Oh, Lord. They used to put blocks over that. Now you can see everybody's fanny, you know, and it's like, oh, my gosh. And, and so you can't watch TLC without not just nudity, but how about everything else we know? And they just put it in your face. And so, like, we have to have conversations at different times or earlier. How do we navigate these type of relationships with other people in our world, in our life, in our families? And, and people have real questions about these things. And so today what I want to do is I want to take the time to engage this subject and show you how we can engage with culture and give you some practical guardrails on, on really how we can um, use these guardrails as a litmus test of how we can engage in this world. And then I was praying last night and felt really unresolved about the message. And God gave me really what I think is going to be the key for those of us in the room that would say we're Christians uh, to be people that can unlock this American worldview that we want to preserve, this cultural thing that we want to see go back to something a little bit more wholesome. And, and God gave me a real key for that I want to show us. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. Uh, the Apostle Paul is rating this to the Roman church, the church that's in Rome. And uh, these are Christians that have no Jewish background. 
They have no history in celebrating the Jewish feasts. They had no like concept. They weren't anticipating a Messiah to come. However, there are Jewish Christians in Rome, and they're starting to get into this like this quarrel back and forth. And the Jews are saying, okay, you've accepted Christ now, awesome. Now add in a lot of Judaism. And this tension is brewing. What the Apostle Paul wants to do is bring absolute clarity to how we as believers need to interact in this world. Let me start reading for you in Romans 14. I'm going to start in verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. In other words, I'm not going to die on that hill. I'm not going to get in a fight with you over, that. that's not what we're doing. Let's agree on the word of God, right? Let's do that, but I, I'll receive you, but let's not fight. For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. That's my life verse, church. <laughs> Pastor Brian, can we get that on the wall as people come in? <laughs> let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let, him, uh, let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Verse 4. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 6. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. Amen. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. Verse 12. Each of us shall give an account of himself to God. What in the world is happening? Is it a sin for me to eat? I just kind of read there like it's not okay. I got to eat nothing. And it's not what it's talking about. It's talking about if you're going to one of these Jewish feasts as part of the Jewish calendar and and you're having that feast and you're eating that food, but then you look over at a a person who is a Christian now. They're born again. They're, They're a new creation in Christ, but they have a pagan background or just a Gentile background. Let's just say that they were agnostic. Like they just, yeah, God, whatever, I don't know. Now they're born again. Don't get after them because they're eating meat. Wait a second, what? They would sacrifice animals to pagan gods, and then the meat would go down to save a lot, year five, okay? And, and you could get cheap meat that was sacrificed. I'm, I'm serious. And what was happening was the Gentiles, they're going in there like meat, 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 you know, whatever. And the Jews, their minds are blown because they kept a kosher diet and they celebrated these feasts. So they're, they're saying, listen, you're missing out on, on the rich depth of the faith that you're now in because you're not celebrating the feast. You're not, you're not going along with these things. I, I don't understand. And, and what Paul is saying is if you're celebrating those feasts, it's because you love Jesus. And, and all the feasts your whole life, you realize we're pointing towards him. And if you want to continue doing that, by the way, we'd call that someone a messianic Jew. They're born again, but they observe a lot of Jewish things. That's fine. You can do it. But don't put that on them. And conversely, the other person shouldn't rail on them and say, well, you're religious or whatever. We had a guy come to the church a couple weeks ago, Messianic Jew, and he enjoyed the message, enjoyed some of the history that I'm known to give, and, and as everything got done, he said, I bet you're going to give me a hard time about wearing this head covering and stuff like that. I said, no, I have another one for you, if you, if you really like that, because he just got out of prison, and he was wearing a, the prison head covering. I had a really nice one from Israel. Well, he really appreciated that. Put it right on his head. He felt very fulfilled. I'm not going to step on his feet. That's his, that's his conviction. That's his conviction. And so what Paul is trying to say is, you can't get after one another. You're under Jesus. And even though there is an incredible rich depth to Judaism that pointed towards Jesus, we can't go back under all of that to try to make things right with God. That's not how it works. Amen. And so this this scripture, but then the council of scripture is showing a healthy tension. And it's a tension that you're going to have to learn to manage. I'll explain it in a second, but uh, here's a great example to show this. There are people in the church right now, in the room, watching, that if I started to pray and you were wearing a hat, 
you would take your hat off and you'd put it on your chest. Now, we don't, we don't see as much of that in the north. I'm telling you, you go to the south. A, more people are wearing hats, but B, they'll take it off during prayer. And why are they doing that? They're doing it because they were taught that that was a respectful thing to do. And you know what? For those people, it certainly is. And I, I would even probably say if I was wearing a hat and I remembered, uh, I, would, I would do that. Conversely, there are Jewish people and even Messianic Jews. There's Amish brothers and sisters you will share heaven with that wear a cap. There are Jews this morning that are at the wailing wall. And to go pray at that wall, you must wear a head covering. Well, which one's right? The guy that takes his hat off or the guy wearing the head covering? Okay, another example. I want you to think about Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel. He, in the book of Daniel, was in Babylon, which was an ungodly culture. And he petitioned his boss, who happened to be the king, Nebuchadnezzar, hey, I don't want to eat your food because your food is against my dietary law. I don't want to do it. And the king says, well, I need my people strong. You need to be strong. He said, listen, I'm going to eat my, my vegetables. I'm going to eat my, my kosher diet. Why don't we just look, compare after everything's done? If I'm weaker than those guys, we'll figure it out. But if I'm just as strong, will you be okay with me doing it? Well, what happened? He ate the vegetables, and he was just as strong as the other guy. What an amazing thing. There's a lot of depth to Daniel's story about being in that culture. But now I want you to think for a second about Joseph. If you don't know the story, he had some awful brothers that sold him into slavery. Eventually, he ended up being put in prison, wrongfully accused. But he interpreted the Pharaoh of Egypt's dream. And so he was elevated from the prison all of a, I mean, just in a moment, in a sudden, he was the prime minister of Egypt. Amazing. His brothers ended up in a wild series of events having to face Joseph as the prime minister of Egypt and ask for food. And they didn't recognize him. Why? Joseph was, was raised Jewish and his dad would have had a full beard might have been like the Orthodox guy with the curly cues coming off their temples, you know. Probably would have had, you know, different hair things. Would have been wearing long robes and things like that. When they see Joseph, hair's bicked, beard's gone. He's well tanned. He's wearing their clothing. He's probably wearing Egyptian makeup at the time. In fact, you read your Bible, and they had to have an interpreter. Well, that tells me Joseph not only speaks Egyptian well, he probably speaks it without a dialect at all. Now, he might know Hebrew still, but, but think about that. His brothers didn't even recognize him. Well, what the great thing is is that in the end of that story, the brothers reconciled. Those brothers end up being symbolic for the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a wonderful thing. Here's my question. Who's right? The one that abstains from the diet or the one that goes along with everything? Not everything. Along with the things that he had conscience about. So in this culture, he was, he was well-read. He had read their histories. He was educated in the Egyptian man. I mean, think about this, guys. He looked completely Egyptian, yet he was a follower of the one true God. Write this down. This is really the key, and we're going to unpack it in the time that we have. There is a difference, write it down, between conscience and commandments. That's the tension. There are things that God just outright said, do this and don't do this, right? Even New Testament, I mean, there's clarity. But then there's a lot of things that you need to become aware. They're a matter of conscience. They're a matter of, of whether, whether you can tolerate it or not and not, not slip. It's a matter of conscience and whether or not that's, that's really a style that's going to bring the most glory to God. There's, there's, there's wiggle room. You know what God said? I didn't say this in my first service, but you know the Lord says to judge yourself. You know that? Do you know that that's the highest form of relationship? He doesn't want to deal with you on the basis of your sin. He'd rather you with your conscience and Holy Spirit that he's given you. He, you know, you have a north star in you that's going to point you to the right answer. And so we cannot make a matter of conscience into a commandment. And we can't make a commandment into a matter of conscience and think that we have wiggle room on things that we really don't have options about. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? And, and so question how has the church been at this? Let me answer. Awful. We biffed it. Now, I thank God for some of my godly heritage that I had in country church that I went to. It, it really helped me out a ton. And at the same time, we would make mountains out of molehills. And, and I remember, I mean, we, we only sang out of the book. 
I'm telling you, Rock of Ages was still a chart topper. It was, it was new to us. And I like in the garden and those, I mean, come on, somebody, somebody give me some snaps. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like the hymns. But we had whole messages where the pastor said that drums are of the devil. Chapter and verse, please. Oh, it's got that demonic tribal beat. Huh? Wait a second. I can show you scriptures talking about hitting drums to praise the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? We're making a matter of conscience into commandment. How about this? You should wear your Sunday best. Well, there's people that have done that their whole life, and there's a lot of dignity in that. There's nothing wrong with that. You can even raise your kids to do that. It's not a commandment. It's not. And we didn't necessarily at our church look down at people, but we've all heard the stories, haven't we, where I didn't feel like I was dressed well enough or this or that or the other thing. And we made a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, how about this? The music shouldn't be too loud. If you feel that way, listen to me, you're going to hate heaven. It's going to be so loud. There's so many kids there. The music's going to be phenomenal. I mean, heaven's going to be a loud, happy place. And, and so uh, one more. And In fact, I'm going to say it and just leave it out in the room. If you have a question about it, put on a connection card. Maybe I'll spend uh, at least a portion of a message in the series talking about it. But you can never have a tattoo. Oh, man, uh, that's the worst. Well, no, no, no. The worst was social dancing. We did not believe in premarital sex because we thought it might lead to social dancing. And, and so we had these, these pillars of our faith that had very little to do with our belief statement. Now, listen to me. I don't believe in premarital sex. I don't believe in, I, listen, I'm a Baptist. I tell my wife, I'm a recovering Baptist. The hips don't work, girl. I try to dance, and I just look like this. I look like one of those, like, wind-up toys or something. I don't know how to dance. And so, you know, I do my best. But here's what I'm trying to say. You can't make a matter of conscience into commandment. Well, what were they going at with the, with the don't dance? They didn't want suggestive dancing to lead to other negative things. You see what I mean? And so it starts out genuine, but it becomes religion because we put it on people instead of letting them take the journey with Jesus, we play the role of the Holy Spirit. And so we cannot, we cannot make a matter of conscience into commandment, and we can't make commandment into conscience. You know, Kaya and I, she's a PK. Uh, if you don't know what that means, it means a lot of rules. She was a pastor's kid. And having grown up with my background, I thought it was a high standard. Now, I, I'm a high standard person. So I was like, this is very cool. What if we didn't kiss until we got married? Well, then her parents just chimed in and said, well, that's exactly what you're going to be doing. And so there we were. And so, uh, but here's the deal. We were together for four years before we got married. I would not do that again. That's a lot. It, it is too long. And I'm going to tell you why it's, it, it, I'm, let me just be honest with you. If you, got, if you found somebody and you wanted to get married, engaged in marriage in a year, maybe not kissing until the altar would be wonderful. Kind of, I didn't kiss in the altar. This is the first time I'm going to share it publicly. We did other stuff. We figure out, we're very creative. Sin's very, the Bible says it's better to marry to burn. You don't have to lie for your pants to be on fire, everybody. Like, quiet, isn't it, all of a sudden? Liar, liar, but you don't have to lie at all, <laughs> you know? And I'm telling you, we went up there and we kissed at that altar and everyone said, oh, how pure they are. And, and you know what? It caused a lot of hang-ups in our relationship, a lot of issues with intimacy. I mean, I wake up and gargle gravel in the morning as it is. I mean, we didn't really need all of that extra baggage, did we? And so it, it's a matter of conscience if you felt like that was great. But that's not what the Bible says you got to do. And I could have treated her in such a way. With I'm not talking about making out and getting hot and heavy. Hear what I'm saying, everybody. I'm just, I'm just saying there was a way to do it that wouldn't have been religious. And there would have been a lot of freedom in that, and it would have saved us a lot of issues. Commandment versus conscience. There's some people that have a, 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 a conviction, a conscience matter, where they don't want to celebrate Christmas. And you think, who is that? Well, I mean, there's whole denominations that don't do it. They don't like anything about it. They would say, well, Christmas actually isn't even in December. They're right. It's in the Hebrew month of Tishri, most likely, which is our month of, uh, it goes over a couple of our months, but it would be like September. Most theologians believe Jesus was probably born on September 11th, which makes a lot of sense now, doesn't it, for the enemy to give him an awful gift like that. Awful. But, but Christmas, and we celebrate, and we're giving gifts back and forth, and, and they, they, they see that something hijacked their faith, and it's not in the Bible, and they don't want anything to do with it. So they don't want anything to do with Christmas. And they say, well, we don't want anything. And, and then you, the worst thing that you could do is add Santa into that. 
Oh, boy. This crowd hates Santa Claus. Santa with a red suit. Red like hell, you know? <laughs> Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe, did you know if you rearrange the letters in the word Santa, it spells Satan. It's Satan Claus with his red, fiery... <laughs> You're so goofy. <laughs> I mean, think of the logic with that. You, you, you change the letters and it spells say, well, you change the letters around in God and it spells dog. Does that tell you anything? Like, I, I, don't, think, I don't think I'm missing something, you know? And, and so what's Kai and I's conviction? We celebrate the tradition of, of, of Santa and we've got sleighs in the house and wintry decorations and we give gifts on, on Christmas morning. And I've never told my kids that he's real or not real or whatever. And, and as far as your kids, if you do, that's a wonderful thing. I'll see him in counseling when they're in their 20s. But, but, uh, <laughs> but beyond that, and if you're a person that wants nothing to do with any of that and you just want to make, you, you don't esteem every day is this one's greater that you steam every day alike. Well, fine, don't celebrate it, but don't put that on me. We can celebrate the fun game, the tradition of all of that, and have a great time. Now, I'm going to dress up in the full garb like I have since I was in elementary school, Tori will tell you, and be ho, 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 Merry Christmas, play Sandy Claus for my kids, and I'm going to have a riot doing. And if you don't like it, I have no idea what to do about that. Well, Pastor Joe, Christmas isn't my issue. It's Easter. Did you know Easter, the word, is pagan? P -p -p pagan. <laughs> it's worshiping the god Esther. Well, okay, listen. If you ask the b -b -b billions of Christians all over the world if they're celebrating Esther or the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, what are they going to tell you? They're celebrating the resurrection, aren't they? That's what that is. Now, now are they right, though? Does it have pagan roots? Yes. Certainly does. Constantine, the Caesar of Rome, got born again. He got on fire for God. Big problem, though. The Roman peninsula was filled with Greco-Roman worship of all these wild gods, Pan and Venus and, and Mars and, and Zeus and Thor and all these different gods. And, and so what they would do is when a conquering army would come in, and it would from time to time, they'd switch over to the other people's gods. Oh, you've got the Greek version? We've got Roman. Oh, you call, you call this one Pan instead of what? Yeah, I'll call him Pan. doesn't really matter. When Constantine got in fire for God, unfortunately, and against his own will, they translated all of that paganism into an offset of Christianity. What happened? Instead of praying to Pan and Venus and Zeus, they, they took wonderful Christian leaders who had died and gone on and called them saints and venerated them and made a whole sloppy mess we still have to deal with today. Now, here's what I'm going to say about all that. He took this, this celebration of, of worshiping Esther, and what he was trying to do was hijack something in the world and, and not make it Christian in a negative way, but like flip the script on the enemy and use it for God's advantage. And in the time that it happened, it worked. It worked great. And so when you're coloring Easter eggs like we do, and you're saying happy Easter, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, Pastor Joe, okay, that's fine because it does line up with Passover. Why don't we just call it Resurrection Sunday? That sounds reasonable, right? Okay, that's great. I call it Resurrection Sunday as well. I call it Easter, Resurrection I call it both. Let me tell you why I'm not going to die on that hill. You're going to have to call today, not Sun's Day, not in worship of the sun. You're going to have to call today, day one. You're not going to be able to call tomorrow, moon day, in worship of the moon. You're going to have to call that day two. Thursday, Thursday, Saturday, Saturn's day. Oh, and here's the worst thing. It calls it by the days of the week in the Bible. The word is polluted now. No, you're nuts. It's okay. Oh, the origin to many of our words and definitions come from a lot of different cultural places that some of them aren't so great. But that doesn't mean that we're worshiping Esther if you color an Easter egg. You know what I'm talking about? The Trinity is not calling a meeting. Oh my gosh, guys, what are we going to do? They're calling it Easter, and I can't come back for a compromised church. We need to call a meeting of the Trinity. No, it doesn't bother them. And I'm going to tell you something. With all this stuff, when we make it this big deal, and we're out there, and our ears are perked up, if anybody says, well, it's actually, it's actually Resurrection Sunday, you know. You're fighting that battle, and the enemy has you right where he wants you. You're a religious nut correcting everybody on something. I ain't going to die on that hill. 
So I'm going to color Easter eggs, and Kaya's going to have little bougie-bougie things from anthropology with rabbits on it. I don't care. It's okay. It's a matter of conscience. Now, if it's your conscience to not celebrate in that way, I will respect you. I will respect you sincerely because I know that for some people it's such a strong conviction. I'm not going to step on your toes with it, but don't put that on me. Paul, the Apostle Paul, actually used culture on a regular basis to preach the gospel. Bibles, please, Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul is now preaching in an area of Athens, Greece, and he's going up on a hill called Mars Hill to a pantheon. It's one of those buildings with all those, those uh, uh, there's a Corinthian, uh, Doric, and Ionic columns all over lining it. And then when you get in there, there's these massive like bases for a statue, these hilts, and then huge statues on top of them to all these different gods we mentioned, the Thors and the Venuses and Zeus and this. And so he goes up there. I want to start reading for you in Acts chapter 17. Paul stood in the midst of the long word and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Notice how he does not come in there like with a spray paint can going like, fur is murder, Buddha's Satan. You know, I mean, he's walking through and he's saying, I see you're religious. I, I see that about you. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. So what's happening here? Paul realizes that when you go out there guns blazing, ready to take down everybody and just prove to them that everything you've been doing has been a lie, well, that's not super influential. You might be right, but you're going to be terribly wrong in putting that person off from Jesus. So he walks in there and he sees this altar, just like all of them have these big hilts for the statues and these, these, these Greco-Roman pagan gods. I mean, like, they didn't want to miss one, and there was hundreds of them. And so what they did is they didn't want to make them upset, so to speak, and so they had an altar, and it says, you know, Zeus, Thor, whatever, to the unknown god, like, we don't want to miss one. And so Paul goes in there and he starts preaching. Notice how he preaches in Greece, Acts 17, verse 28. For in him, he's talking about the unknown God, him I proclaim, for in him we live and move and have our being. Wait a second. Y'all look at me for a second. Where's that from? Is that Old Testament? Did, did Moses write that? Is that canonical? Maybe, maybe it's New Testament. Maybe Jesus said it, right? G, G, Jesus didn't say it. Read on. He says, as also some of your own poets have said. Paul is going in there and he says, hey, in him we live and move and have our being. And what is he doing? He's quoting this, this, this poet, you could say songwriter, who's a pop culture icon in Greece. Everybody knows this lyric from a song. And here's what it is. It's a sexually suggestive song. And without opening up a whole can of worms, I'm just going to say it again. Listen to it. For in him we live and move and have our it's, it's It's pretty coarse. It is the equivalent of taking a sexually suggestive pop song in our culture and just being like, hey, you guys are listening to that song? It's actually, let me just tell you about that and using it to preach Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he's doing. He says, that's pretty edgy, Pastor Joe. I totally agree. That's a lot. That's a lot. Paul was wired for that. He's a tough cookie. He would go in and start the most incredible conversations with people and, and really get conversation going to, to get them to the spot where they could realize Jesus is the only way. And so he went and respectfully, he starts, he starts preaching that way. He said in another part, let me read it out of 1 Corinthians 9. You don't have to turn there, but I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. In other words, he was a Pharisee, so when he got around Jewish people, he'd be like, oh yeah, here, here's my credentials, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, let's, let's talk shop. Everything you've been doing your entire life points towards Jesus, and he'd show them, and it was compelling. And then on the other end, he'd be around sinners and stuff like that, but what y'all up to? That's pretty neat. Let me tell you about this. Just like Jesus did when he said, oh, you're getting water out of there? 
I know a way that you can have water and you'll never thirst again. You see, this is your heritage. This is what we're called to as followers of Jesus. People could label New Chapel as edgy. And I would agree with some of the things that we do, it blow your mind. I mean, the church that I grew up in, my cousin, he's a, he's a country church preacher. And I'm going to tell you, it looks nothing like this. LED lights and what. You don't need this to have church. But if we want to reach Grand Rapids, sight and sound generation, I think we ought to do things different. And I, I honestly, I could pastor a church where we, we sang out of those books every single day. I don't need all this. I really don't, just to be honest. But I know that there's people far from God that need something that relates to their world. And there's a lot of churches in western Michigan that are still like chart top or rock of ages. Praise the Lord. They're reaching people I can't. And I'm going to reach people that maybe they can't. Because New Chapel, your church, will do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. Can I get an amen, church? That's, that's the heart of this. That's our conscience. So how do we know what's okay and what's off limits? Let me give you three headings. Jot these down. There are sacred things, there are secular things, and there are sinful things. Sacred, secular, sinful. Remember these. Because when I was growing up, it was just sacred and secular. That's what they try to tell us. Sacred and secular. But it's not that way. Let me explain. So there's sacred things like you know, Phil Wickham, Battle Belongs to the Lord. That's a song that's for the Lord, right? I don't know if music is getting baptized, but like if anything's sacred, that's sacred culture, right? Uh, if you were to take any of the Psalms and put music to them, what a wonderful thing. A uh, church, obviously. I mean, not the building. This, this was the former Rite Aid, but, but the church, like the gathering, it's sacred, right? But then there's secular. Write this down. That's common ground. So, so next to sacred, I want you to write the word command. These are things that we don't wiggle on, right? But then on secular, I want you to write the word conscience or conviction. This is where we have to know what's okay and what's not. Secular is common ground. Let me explain. Dora the Explorer is neither sacred nor sinful. She sure can count, Okay. And I think that that lady's going places. Hey, no. <laughs> I don't know if, if Dora's baptized. I have no idea. She might be a Lutheran, you know. She might get a little sprinkle. I have no idea. But can we all agree, Dora's not sinful, right? I mean, so far as I know, I mean, we live in 2021. I don't know. But, you know, th so there's, there's, there's common ground. Can I just free you? Michael Buble. Now, I don't know every song he's ever sang, so listen, you're going to have to weigh that out. I'll tell you how to do it, but like, I, like, I like music maybe you don't even like. Pastor Tommy, when he comes into town, he laughs because he says, I would never think this of you, but I like Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, John Coltrane. Oh, I could listen to our song. We danced at our wedding was In a Sentimental Mood, John Coltrane. Woo, did y'all feel the Holy Ghost when I said that? It'll be a good night at the Bevel Aquas tonight, okay? So like, I, I like um, Maynard Ferguson. Does anyone know who Maynard Ferguson is? I thank you, my people. Here we'll we'll get some more. Are you ready? Chicago. Sad. Okay, I'm not gonna sing it because I'll turn you off to the church. But there's music out there, and it's okay. It's okay. Even sometimes when it's talking about lovey-dovey stuff. I mean, you still need to guard your kids away from reading the Song of Songs in the Bible, right? I mean, so like, there, there's some things that are still okay for us married folk. Doesn't hurt at all. What's that? I, I won't even go there. Praise the Lord. Matter of conscience, I won't go there. But So there's secular, there's common ground, a lot of Sinatra stuff, Batman, 1989, Michael Keaton only. Like, like that's, that's, great, that's great secular stuff. Then there's sinful. What's sinful? Write it down. Sin could be suggestive things, sexual things, hateful, drunk, evil, things that glorify the enemy. Obviously, the, the counsel of Scripture, right? I mean, it makes it very clear what's right and wrong. But, but there's sacred things, they're secular. We, 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 in this secular world that we live in, can enjoy it. And write that down, Christians can enjoy culture. You can do that. Paul was conveying that in Romans. 
one person esteems one day, another esteems, some people esteem no days at all. Like, we have some element in there where we can do it. Now, we don't want to, like, go into the spot where we veer into things that are not good for us. And there's things that are, are lawful for you to do that might not be the best thing for you to do. Secular culture can be wonderful. And what we need is some guardrails. I'm going to give you six of them very quickly. Write them down. Number one, avoid anything that leads you into temptation. Write that down. Maybe you want to take your phone out, take a picture of that. Avoid anything that leads you into temptation. So if you're hearing about, um, I don't know, a show, or if you're hearing about a movie and it has some steamy sex scene in it, that's not the best thing for you, whether you're married or not. If, if you're a person that, you know, you, you, you're going to drink too much, you can't go out with people that are drinking all the time. Does that make any sense? So, so if it's going to lead you down a road that all things are lawful, Pastor, okay, great, I give you snaps. But if you can't handle it and you're going to go too far, become a person that you're not, if you're going to let that thing get a hold of you, guys, you can't go there. Number two, avoid things that blaspheme Jesus Christ or the name of God. He died for me. I'm not going to pay to listen to your song where you're going to drop all kinds of language, including blaspheming the name of Jesus. I'm not doing that. Now, in our world, you're going to hear it on TV, and you're going to hear it in movies, and to a certain degree, you might have to put on your own bleeps in your ears, but I'm telling you, there's a tipping point where it's like, this is blaspheming God. This is making fun of God. I'm not doing that. They don't get my vote, and I pay. That's how you vote. You pay, and they're getting paid. That floats that lifestyle, so I'm not going to do it. I'll tell you another thing while I'm on it. If there's naughty, naughty words that no one is supposed to say, let's not rap about it. If you let your kids listen to music that's glorifying that word, but, but you can't say it, I'm going to tell you something. If it's wrong for anybody, it's wrong for everybody. Don't do it. Can I get an amen, church? Moving off from that. Number three, avoid things that glorify fornication or other sex sins. So again, like a movie, if the plot of the movie is somebody losing their virginity, probably not the movie for you. Let me just tell you something, that, that you let your kids watch that stuff, and it gets into their mind that it's okay. And of course, the movies are going to condemn the person that's sleeping around and being, you know, a vixen in the movie. In fact, if it's a horror movie, they'll kill you. You know, like, it, you can't do that. It's one of the rules. But if you really loved your boyfriend and then at the end of the movie, they'll glorify something like that. And it gets in your teenager's mind that that's okay to do it. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to tell you something. If you're a teenager in here and you're listening to me. You go down that road, and you think you can sleep with your boyfriend. He's, he's so sentimental. He's so emotional. They're all so sentimental and emotional at that age. And, and, and you're, you're, he's brokering this moment for you two to have, and, and you're going you're gonna to sleep together at a very special moment. Let me tell you, I've been in the locker room, believe it or not. <laughs> and there's going to be intimate details about you spoken out loud. Oh, well, he's not that type of guy. Okay, he won't be like that for a couple of years when the chemistry set wears off from him. And I'm telling you, I, how do I, I don't even know how to put it. Nobody buys the, I don't know, I can't say that. But anyway, like, listen, you can't do that. You're going to be taken advantage of. You are a son or daughter of the king. Don't, don't cross that boundary. It's somebody taking advantage of you, not loving you. That's not what it is. When you do it God's way, it's the best way. If you're so hot and heavy and you, you think it's every, this is real, oh my gosh, how many times have I heard that in my office? The Bible says it's better to marry than to burn. Again, your pants are on fire. Don't go wait to go plan some big old thing so you can look like the movies. Come on down to the front. Let's get some paperwork going and get this thing so it's legal and it's spiritual. Get you married and you move on with your life if you're so serious. Oh, if that intimidates you, it might expose a lot of things, right? I'm not saying it's the best, but the Bible does say it's better to marry than to burn. And it's not talking, anyway, okay. <laughs> Number four, avoid things that glorify demonic powers, that glorify it. Now, it is my conscience, personally, I kind of like scary movies every once in a while. I love thrillers. And I like that movie, The Exorcist, you know? You like that one? I, I don't know why they always call up, like, Hey, sacred Mary of hearts and weak prayers, would you come down here and, and pray for our daughter head spin? You know, like, why do they always call the Catholic guy? We're listed. Call the evangelical to show up. You know what's going to be? I'm going to walk in that scary looking little girl and be like, shut up and come out. 
credits. <laughs> That's exactly how Jesus did it and how he taught his disciples. It'd be a short movie, but it'd be worth it. We should film that. <laughs> Here's what I am talking about. More and more in Hollywood, you can see somebody went to Sunday school because they know enough about the Bible to give credit to these demons and things like that. But what's happening, there was a movie a couple years ago called Legion. It really glorified demonic powers, though it was so strong. Do you know the Bible says that the devil is under your feet? He's a defeated foe. He was defeated at the cross. It is finished. That that, that is sealed in heaven, your authority over the works of the enemy. And so what happens is it glorifies, oh, he's so big, he ain't a big, tough guy. He puts on airs. Big hat, no cattle. You know what I'm talking about? And so watch things that glorify it because what will happen is you'll start to be persuaded the next time you get sick with something small, you won't pray first. You know what I mean? And so we need to be people that, that turn to God and don't, don't give those things credit. Number five, avoid things that glorify witchcraft and necromancy. Witchcraft. I, I grew up in the 90s. Witchcraft was like pointy hats, broomsticks. My dad would say it was his mother-in-law. I mean, like, that's a witch, you know? But like today... You know people that are doing spells and incantations, taking walks. And they say, well, nature's my God. And that sounds so peaceful. Nature's not your God. And Romans even predicted that they would worship the creation instead of the creator. It's witchcraft. And it, anything that is not leading you toward Jesus Christ, if anything's pulling you back, philosophy, your political party, did you hear me? And number three, any, any world religion. Well, well, Buddhism's peaceful. No, it's not. It's a, it's a living hell. It's treacherous. You should see what they do with their version of the, their saints where they starve themselves to become living mummies. It sounds very peaceful and tranquil. Anything that is not pointing you towards the true and living Jesus Christ is demonic, and witchcraft is all of a sudden becoming this pop thing that's going around. You think, that's not that big of a deal. Your public school is talking about it. I'm just telling you, it's brewing, so to speak, in our schools now. Necromancy, what in the world is that? Necromancy is talking to the dead. Let me tell you what this is not. This is not when somebody dies and you go on their Facebook wall and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're gone. I'm going to miss you so much. That's not necromancy. And some of that might, in a, in a counseling way, be a healthy exercise. Necromancy is holding conversations with the dead, meaning messaging their messenger on Facebook all the time and talking to them. Or when you're alone or driving in your car and you're talking to your dead loved ones. Listen to me for a second. Take it from somebody who has lost a lot of people I used to celebrate with, a lot of people I love. I want to talk to them. But when you reach out, you are not talking to them. You are talking to something called a familiar spirit. It's an ancient demon that has known your family and can feed you a couple of facts about them with a Ouija board, a tarot card, or many other different tools today where you will begin to believe you're in a conversation with them because they know a couple of facts. Listen to me. The enemy is trying to get towards your most vulnerable and soft spot to exploit you. It is strictly forbidden by Scripture, and the Bible says it puts a curse on you. One time, Kai and I were on vacation before we had kids. My God, the whole thing felt like a vacation. But anyway, we were, we were having vacation, and I was uh, shaving in the other room. We, I told you, we don't have cable. You know, we got a little Apple TV, and, you know, so we love being in a hotel and watching, you know, Discovery or TLC, and, and I think it was TLC that was on, and as I'm shaving, I'm laughing at this lady because she's from New Jersey, and she seems very wholesome and everything. All of a sudden, she's talking to the wild whizzlewazzles, talking to dead people, and I go over half-shaved and turn it off. I don't need that stuff in my life. And that is so cunning of the world to make it so wholesome because this person with a great, per she had a great personality, is, is getting you in to make you think that this is a very conventional thing to do. You're talking to the enemy of your soul who wants to kill you and your whole family. Don't mess with this stuff. It's strictly forbidden by Scripture. Number six, avoid things that cause other people to stumble. Well, Pastor Joe, I have liberty. Let me just tell you something. You're not going to see me drinking at a restaurant. The moment I'm drinking at a restaurant, somebody from this church or somebody that knows me or seen me around, they're going to take it as their permission slip to go buck wild and cause a pileup, get a DUI. Listen, I grew up with an alcoholic mother who raged against our family, who raged, ruined things. 
Was it a sin to have a drink? Listen to me, the Baptist drink in Italy. It tells you everything you need to know, okay? But it's my conviction not to. I don't want anything to do with it. And you listen to me as a born-again believer. The Bible says in, in Proverbs 31, it's not for kings. And you start drinking, you get around the wrong crowd, and all it takes is one person in that crowd to think that this is how they do it. Maybe they just weigh 80 pounds. And so what you drink is fine, and you go on with your life and, and, and do it. With the, but they drink the same amount. They try to keep up with you, keep up with the And you don't know what people are dealing with in their own life. And they end up going down a road they can't get back from. My mother was, was, was told by her doctor for all of her anxiety, why don't you just have a beer before you go to bed at night? Ruined our lives. And so avoid anything that would cause someone else to stumble. If you don't know, take the high road and abstain. I want to talk to the women for a second, mainly because my fashion isn't going to cause anybody to stumble. Some of you women, God bless you, you're beautiful. Or you just show too much, I don't know. But <laughs> you're haunting your Christian brothers. Low-cut tops. I'm, I'm telling, I don't know if they're shorts or if they're just denim undies. I have no idea. My kid ain't wearing them. It's where a nun's habit is what we're trying to shop for on Amazon. <laughs> nun's habit. Because I ain't having none of it, you know? <laughs> Why do we always go there together? I don't know. It's some counseling. But anyway, guys, girls, it might be fine if you're out with all your girlfriends and you're having fun and you guys, you might be putting your Christian brothers through torment. Some of these guys are trying to live pure before they get married, live a life. And, 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 and listen, you're beautiful, or you just show too much. But it's haunting. It's not fair. It's not fair. Help out the men in the room. And I'll say it because nobody's ever asked this of you. Please. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a woman. I'm going to just tell you, I'm not strong enough to see that junk. Neither is your husband. Neither are your sons. So we've got to think about that. The Bible says, to the pure, all things are pure. And I get it. You're raising your daughters. Well, that's a big deal. You know? Listen, you got to think in the world that we live in a little bit, a li with a little bit more conviction. Is it, is it causing my brother to stumble? I'm not, I'm not going to do it then. You don't talk about everybody? Listen, you don't have to dress like a nun. I was joking. But modest is hottest. That's what the Bevelock was saying. Come on. Just makes you curious if you're married, you know. <laughs> I was a youth pastor for years, and we used to show a rules video. And it said, you know, no tobacco products. You can't be armed, you know, as a kid, you know. And, and we don't want you doing this, that, and the other thing. And, and then we had this saying, and we would say it in a fun way to teenagers. No boobies, bellies, or booties exposed. And everybody laughed, and we held them to the standard. And so in a fun way, please please hear from our heart. Don't cause your brothers to stumble. There's many ways. I mean, just drinking and modesty, those are two. But just have a th be thoughtful. Be thoughtful for other people that are out there. Now, moving on. Christians can enjoy culture. I think we should enjoy culture. First Timothy 6, that God has given us all things richly to enjoy. But still, there should be some things about this world that trouble us. Second Peter chapter 2. Let me read this for you. And God delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, among the wicked people, he was tormented, he was vexed in his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. If you're born again and you're looking at culture right now, there should be something that goes, uh-uh, that ain't right. And that's bad English, but it's good preaching. It vexes you. I can't do that. I can't go along with that junk. And so, so it, it bothers me when I see Christians that aren't bothered by the world. It bothers me when I see those type of actions. Now, the Bible says that in Sodom and Gomorrah, there was a great judgment that was coming. But Lot was righteous, so God sent the angel of the Lord to get him out of there. And he said, listen, we're going to get out of here, but don't look back member of that family that looked back was Lot's wife. When she looked back, it was her ruin. She was killed. Why did she look back? 
to see the fireworks? No. I'm going to tell you why she looked back and why some of us in the room have looked back is because you liked it. And that's a lot of it is the stuff that you were actually delivered out of. It's the stuff that's going to, it's not good for you. It's going to put you in bondage. It's going to put your kids in bondage. What's permissible in one generation becomes the norm in the next. And we lose grasp on having any standard. And so, so, so hear me. I'm concerned for the Christian that can't turn their back on the world. My wife being a PK, still wanted to have fun. And she, so there was a prom. She went to Granville High School. And so she went and made a hair appointment for her hair. And she got a dress and got her nails did. You know what I mean? And got all excited. And she went out with all their girlfriends. And she walks into the prom and hears the most gruesome music you've ever heard in your life and sees people that are, are dancing in ways that, I'm, I mean, not make a preacher swear. I'll just tell you that. If I saw my kids do it, and so, like, it was too much. What'd she do? She turned around and left. Well, to do what? To go home and wash her stockings and pray? No, they went and had fun. Sometimes being all dressed up, it's kind of just fun to go to Walmart or, or go to Sonic and have, have a good time. You want to talk about everybody? And I'm going to tell you parents something. If you take something away from your kids because it is not good for them, it's a sinful thing, don't just minus. They'll, they'll hate the church. They'll hate Jesus. Plus, you can't do this, but you can do this. My kids will never stay at anybody else's house. It's my standard. Won't happen. I'm not joking about that. But we're going to throw the biggest sleepovers you've ever seen in your life. I'll spring for pizza. Pizza's cheap. Divorce court, very expensive. My family name, very costly. You see? And so Kaya turned her back, walked out, and still had a great time and didn't have to go be like the world. So Christian, I'm concerned if there's something pulling you back to Egypt in the slavery and bondage that God brought you out of. So I'm not saying you can't enjoy culture, but write this down. Culture cannot own you. You can enjoy it, but if it gets a hold of your heart, a hold of your habits, if it becomes part of you and it's in a negative way, like you can't do that. And I'm concerned when the church looks just like the world, we divorce just like the world, and we fight just like the world, and we enjoy the same. Can, can anybody tell that you're different? I'm just, okay, I'm going to go super old school. I have a license to do this, by the way. Come on, Ed. Come out and be ye separate. God's delivered you out of that junk. God, God has put your feet on a rock. Don't go back to that. So enjoy culture, but don't let it own you. Finally, last night I'm praying about this, and I'm like, God, everything I'm preaching is right, but all I'm giving them is this is what's okay and this is what's not, and that's good enough in many ways, but not for the time that we're living in, not for everything that we've seen with our eyes. And so I'm praying, I'm, I'm saying, God, what do I do? The world's lost its mind. The things that they're doing, I mean, it's child abuse. Some of the things that they're proposing and, and, and some, of, some of the actions that they're taking, the name of compassionate, are the most severe, inhumane things I've ever seen in my life. And sheep are going like this. I'm thinking, can anybody see what's going on? And it can be tempting sometimes for us as we want to get closer to God to almost take their advice and isolate and insulate and make your faith something private and keep it to yourself. And that is exactly what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to lose touch with everybody that you've ever known. He wants you to run from pop culture so quick, make your head spin. He wants you to feel icky anytime you talk to anybody that's a, a lower rank than you as far as faith. And, and, and this faith that he's called you into is not just personal. It's revolutionary. The Apostle Paul knew that. Paul, when he was preaching in, in Athens on, on Mars Hill in the Pantheon, and he's preaching the unknown God, do you know that the government rulers were horrified of him? That they were talking about him? By the way, men of God are meant not to be limp-wristed, noodle-back. They're supposed to be the tough shepherds in culture, leading the way so we are not taken off a cliff by people that don't know how to lead their way out of a wet paper bag. Where are the men of God? And so Paul is preaching the unknown God. Do you know what the government was saying? We have it recorded. 
This is what somebody in leadership in Athens said in Acts 17. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Like, like Kaya gets up, her feet hit the ground, and the devil goes, Oh, Lord, she's up. You know what I'm talking about? I like the fact that I'm on somebody's list and I know about it. I like the fact that you know about it. I like the fact that the enemy hates the preaching of the gospel and the gathering of the saints together. I like the fact that we're all over him. You're not going to hear about revival in the news. They don't want to talk about that. There's no ratings in that. But there is an undercurrent of revival brewing in America today. Let's take it public. So what do we do? We have to not just, okay, this is what we can do and not do, and we bump in between the, the, the guardrails like we're playing bumper bowling. What do we do, Jeremiah 15? You are to influence them. Do not let them influence you. It is time for the church to influence culture. Can I get an amen? New chapter. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would use us to be those people to influence this world, that, Lord, you'd help us to enjoy this life, to enjoy the great things about culture, to not go out of the guardrails, but, Lord, leverage every last bit of it to influence people who are far from God. Lord, as this world deteriorates, as sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so, Lord, I thank you for a gracious and loving church to rise out of this congregation. Lord, I pray that you'd give us an in into people's lives, the hard cases, those people that were hardened sinners, tough folks, that, God, you'd cut right to their heart. That, Lord, we wouldn't be afraid of culture and scurry away. We wouldn't be afraid about what church people would think that would be emboldened by your spirit to make a difference in the lives of people because the stakes are too high. Oh, God, use us. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, help me to find them. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you don't know God, the only way to make peace with God is through Jesus. He made a way, but there was no way. The Bible says if you call him Lord, you'll be saved. We're going to pray together. In fact, if, if you've never prayed it, if you mean it, the Bible says you'll be saved. But church, I want you to say it as a declaration of your faith and in support those people who are praying it the first time. Pray this with me out loud and proud. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. <laughs> Listen, if you prayed that prayer, we want to know about it, not to get in your business, but to send you a note talking about next steps. So please let us know whether on one of those connection cards or online. Nobody's going to know what you're doing. Maybe you're a first-time visitor or it's a prayer request. They're not going to know. Fill that out and let us know about it and join the, what, 30-some people that have accepted Christ in the last month and 19 that have gotten baptized. Join the ranks of those people that are on fire for God. They, they learn their next steps. We want to be able to tell you those. Church, one more time for those that accept Christ. Hey, stand up on your feet. Y'all get anything out of this series? I hope it really helps you because I think that these questions deserve answers. Amen, somebody? A couple of announcements. After church today, we're having New Chapel Connect. So if you want to join the church, I'm going to be there. I'd love to learn your name. And ultimately, we're going to be teaching you the first steps of how to partner together to make that influence we were just preaching about. So stay after 15 minutes after we dismiss. We've got Jimmy John's, Water Coke. We've got child care. As always, please join us for uh, New Chapel Connect. Uh, next week, don't forget about that newcomer's reception. If you've been coming anytime from January to now, we're just going to call you a newcomer, and we'd love to be able to be back there, learn your name. My wife and 
I want to hear your story and share with you guys. Uh, child dedications are coming up on Mother's Day, which is May 9th. And I want you guys to get loud about this. It is confirmed. We have a guest speaker. Erikaia Bevilacqua is going to be preaching on Mother's Day. <laughs> I'm telling you, you think I'm tough. You all haven't heard anything yet. It's going to be good. And so listen, be here for Mother's Day and child dedications on the same day. I love you. We love you. This church loves you. Bring somebody next week. We're only going to go deeper. And in fact, next week, we're going to be answering a question about end times and what heaven is going to be like. And I'm going to give you my date for when Jesus is going to come back. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We need to pray. <laughs> it's in September. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I am just kidding. Do not tweet there. I'll get you. <laughs> The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you, be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, I love you. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.